0: Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency.
1: Welcome back to Where Brains Meet Beauty. This is your host, Jody Katz. Thanks for joining us. This episode features Divya Gugnani. She's a CEO and co-founder of Wander Beauty. Her career started well outside the beauty industry, so please take a listen. She has a fascinating story of being a serial entrepreneur. And if you missed last week's episode, it features featured Rachel Winard. She's the founder of Soap Walla. Enjoy the shows. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to be sitting with Divya Gugnani. She's the CEO and co-founder of Wander Beauty. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to finally meet you. We talked many, many months ago on the phone. I'm so glad to see you face to face. Me too. So tell me, um, how will you spend your time today? What's, what's oh on the calendar well, for today? I had got up this morning in panic, as I usually
0: do, because we do a lot of production overseas. Um, so I had a lot of emails. I had phone calls with suppliers. I had a breakfast meeting down at Soho House. My breakfast meeting ran over by an hour, so I ended up having to go to Starbucks before I got here to catch up on more emails. I didn't have time to get to the office. I walked here from there. Um, I've been on the subway now a couple times <laughs> in between all the travels back and forth from there and then I will go back to the office and I will be literally back to back in meetings till 7 o'clock.
1: You don't look um, like you were walking through. Today's weather is crazy. It's like so humid. Does my
0: hair not look like it walked through the no. And took the and subway you're s- to I, I took like the F train to the L train to the L train to the F train to walking 10 blocks. I have trained and traveled yeah, a lot. You
1: don't have this like humid face of you know, melting makeup. I don't, makeup. Feel
0: hot. I don't I don't know what is that. I just like I'm. I'm a heat person. I don't feel like I don't feel the heat. I kind of love it. That's great.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> so um, you know, we talked a few months ago when during our pre-interview, and um, when I was going back to the notes to compile these questions, I really was giggling to myself because your story is so fantastic. And um, you know, I think that's why I, I love doing this show because I wouldn't know this stuff, you know, if we didn't get to have this conversation. And I want other people to know how dynamic and um, interesting your career has been. Um, And I keep seeing again and again, you're such a risk taker, right? Like every single part of the journey, it's like, let's just try it, let's just try it, let's just try it. But you told me that your parents don't have a strong work ethic. So explain to me what that was like growing up, and how did it influence the person that you became? It's actually fascinating. So
0: um, I definitely got the risk-taking from my dad, though, and I I, I consciously tried to avoid it. So growing up, both my parents um, came here from India. My dad actually went to school here. He studied engineering. He realized he didn't make a very good engineer. He has difficulty setting an alarm clock, which I do for him. Um, And he just... You know, it was happenstance. My dad had a job in the 70s. He worked for the government as an engineer. He got laid off because the administration changed. And he was in Springfield, Illinois, where I was born. And he got into his, like, he had a Chevy Impala, uh, in 1979. And he drove it from Springfield, Illinois to Florida right before Christmas because he said, hey, I'm not going to get a job. So no one's going to hire me at this time. So I might as well just go to Florida and hang out. I mean, he just was very zen. And um, he ended up starting his own business, uh, one company, then morphed into kind of another. He did some stuff in apparel and, um, and jewelry. And he just was very, um, there are some people who like work very hard and some people who work very smart. He was a work smart guy. He. Delegated a lot. He had strong people around him. He enjoyed life, in you know, in excess, and just really that was his personality. He was very personal and enjoyed all the you know the finer things of life. And my mom um, grew up in a household where you know she never worked, and she you know married my father and and never worked, and so she was just you know very into the arts and pursuing personal hobbies, and so. The way I grew up was that everyone had a lot of time, and everyone got to pursue what they wanted to pursue. So, if my mom was taking Japanese painting and pottery classes and playing tennis, and my dad was, you know, casinoing and hanging out and um, <clears throat> and traveling, like they lived a very like relaxed life. And I just feel maybe it was something within me when I went to school. I just. I was very focused on achievement. It was never about what everyone was doing around me. It was more about, like, what are my personal goals? I used to always tell myself, like, I had a track coach in high school who said something in my head, who always said, what is your personal best? And as an entrepreneur, this is a philosophy that I carry through my entire life. It is like, what is your personal best? What can you do? How far can you go? Because I know I can run the 5K, 3.1 miles in a certain time, and there are people who can run it a lot faster than me, and those that can run it slower. But what is my personal best? I was always striving to achieve my personal best, and that just became something that throughout
1: my career has been a common theme. So um, this will be the first time I say this on this podcast, but let's talk about the auto parts industry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Beauty meets auto parts. Um, So I I, I told you this story once, and I'm going to share it with everybody else, but I worked in finance. I worked at Goldman Sachs in investment banking. It was incredible. Loved working there. Learned a lot. Uh, worked in private equity. Worked in venture capital. Uh, worked at a great fund. And was surrounded by very intelligent, highly motivated people, as I feel like is very inspiring. And <clears throat> I was dating someone who had an affinity for auto parts and had an affinity for cars and basically could tell when they were coming off of warranty and what parts they would need. And... <clears throat> I decided to hone in on that passion that this person had and turn it into a business, which I created and became, knock on wood, very thankfully, uh, a very successful business, which we then sold. So that was really exciting. Um, It was my first experience in entrepreneurship, and it's what I call toe in the water. A lot of times people just don't want to take the leap and are like, you know have a job and have security and have bills to pay and like you may be in different stages of life for me i was in a stage of life where i owned an apartment and for me it was like it was my american dream to own a piece of new york city real estate i worked very hard to get there i ate boiled eggs for many many dinners in order to be able to do this and so i was not taking a risk that was going to not be able to pay for my apartment that i now committed to so i had this opportunity to work a full time job work nights work weekends and be an entrepreneur in an industry that I personally wasn't passionate about but to learn the ropes and to make the mistakes and have you know and we had a lot of early success and it was a combination of the right product the right product market fit and the right timing so it was an incredible experience where we you know financially both did very well and that was very exciting but I then said to myself I want to do this in an industry I really love so you kept your job at Goldman the whole time? I kept my job in, um, in venture capital. I was working oh, uh-huh. in venture capital all the time, yeah, the whole time. And literally, I used to get home from work at like seven, seven thirty. I get online and until one in the morning every morning, I used to work on the business. And every weekend, Saturday and Sunday mornings, and sometimes at nights, I used to put in you know six, seven hours of work into this business. And we grew it, and we scaled, it, and we hired people, and it just it was a lot. It was a lot of work, but it was like you know I, during the day I had my my job that I was very focused on, and I enjoyed tremendously working in venture, but I also tremendously enjoyed learning and being an entrepreneur. It was a very interesting growing process.
1: And was there any point where you're like, oh, maybe I'll quit my day job and work work this auto parts gig full time? You know, it's
0: so interesting. There were times where I thought about that, but I always thought, this went so quickly. Started the company, it started doing very well, it started growing very rapidly. It became a point within a few years that before I could even think about it, it was over. Um, and at that point, I realized, you know what? What am I going to do at night? And what am I going to do on the weekends? <laughs> like I, I didn't know what to do with myself. And I was like, I want to actually be an entrepreneur in a sector, in a space, and a company that I'm really passionate about what I'm doing. I'm solving a problem in someone's life. I'm doing something that. It moves the needle for me and moves the needle for others. This is something I fell into, and I wanted to kind of create my own destiny, which led me to starting Behind the Burner. And that was the media company that I ran that was tips, tricks, and techniques for food, wine, mixology, nutrition. We were syndicated on NBC the o- o- and the regional ONOs. So I had the opportunity to kind of do weekend TV in the mornings, Saturday, Sunday mornings, have this show. And I realized super quickly, this entrepreneurship thing, it's not, not always a rocket ship. So, while my first company was this rocket ship of success, and it was so fast growing fast moving, everything was going in the right direction, growing, growing growing, I was like, then I started a company in a space I was super excited about because i'd gone to culinary school between undergraduate and graduate um, school, and I love to cook, and i 'm so passionate about food and it was based on sponsorship revenue and you had these sponsors who would come in and write big checks and you'd be so excited. Um, And then they wouldn't come and the phone wouldn't ring for months. And then you just, it was painful. It was just the painful experience of being an entrepreneur where there, maybe I would, I would actually characterize it as too early for its time and the product market fit wasn't there and the scalable revenue model wasn't there. And I learned a lot from this. It was a very humbling experience. I feel like Everyone needs to have a few of those to really like ground themselves in what is success and how to be when you're successful. One of the things that I feel so strongly about in my career, if I just look at, you know, that company growing and selling, my other company that I sold to QVC growing and selling, and then like your attitude when you have nothing is like great, but it's all about like your attitude when you have everything. Like that is what's so defining, but you have to have nothing first to really understand what the attitude should
1: be. So, <laughs> when you started the culinary business, mm-hmm. is that, that
0: when you said them. goodbye
1: to your full-time job? Yes, and it was very scary. So, you—I mean—you had the best of both worlds for so many years, right? right? Obviously, I'm sure it was exhausting and taxing, but you had the steady paycheck, um, and then you had another steady paycheck, and you ultimately sold the auto parts business. And, mm-hmm. um, it sounds like so I could afford to basically
0: live off savings mm-hmm. and pursue my dream. And I recommend that. Mm-hmm. Like so many people say to me like how much money do I need to start a company? I like this is the f- top 5 question that I get all the time. And I'm like, well, it depends on the company, what the capital needs are and what the infrastructure is and whether you're planning on paying yourself or not. And how much money you have in your reserves and how much you can kind of dig into and always have a contingency plan because let me tell you something about entrepreneurship it never goes as quickly as you expect it to, and it never costs as much money as you thought it would. Right. It's always more, and it always takes longer, typically. My auto parts example, it was not the case. Right. But nine out of 10 times,
1: it takes you more money than you think, and it takes longer than you think. So I can imagine that if, I mean, if I had the glow of like, major success in an industry that I didn't even care about and was a second job slash slide hustle, That if I came to the, the position where I've already quit my job and I started a company and I'm burning through cash because I'm actually not getting the revenue that I expected, I would be really scared. Yes. Were
0: you? 100%. Like anyone would be. And the scariness and the stress and the stress of... What, going back to personal best. right? Is this yeah. my personal best? Yeah. Is this my career-defining moment of who I am as an entrepreneur? I was a super successful entrepreneur, and now I'm one that's outwardly successful. There was this whole American Express ad campaign that was going on for my business. Oh, Everyone really? Was growing. It was an international ad campaign. I did a TV commercial. I did a so radio So you were commercial. one of
1: those entrepreneurs like, hey, yes. I do this with American Express. Yes. Oh, that's so awesome. I was. <laughs> I'll, show you, I'll show you the ads because you'll we'll get a kick out of it. But... It was just this, it was doing well,
0: and it was growing. And, you know, we did get millions of dollars revenue. I'm not saying we didn't, but it just wasn't, it never got big. Right. It never scaled. It never got big. And for me, it was all about, like, personal best. Like, is this my personal best? And I knew it wasn't. So I said, you know what? Let me take the money I have here. This is not growing at the trajectory I would like it to go at. And let me rewrite the narrative for myself as an entrepreneur. And did let you have go employees back to what it makes. at yes, that time? Yes, I did. So you had to lay off your employees? I did not. So what I did is I took the money and the people that I had, and I said, hey, I want to make another go at this, because God knows I've reinvented myself. And I said, I used to have a career in finance, and I used to have a finance-type budget to go shopping. And now I'm <laughs> an entrepreneur, <laughs> and I have an entrepreneur-type budget, which is non-existent for shopping. And now I'm going to start a fashion accessories company, and beauty subscription for women who are basically, like, want to update their look on a budget. And that was my concept. And that's what we did with Send the Trend when we launched it. And that was what it was about. What year was Send the Trend launched? Send the Trend was in 2010. Oh, send the Trend. Send the uh-huh. Trend, yeah. It was in 2010. It was a subscription. And we grew very rapidly. And... We had a flat price subscription. You could pick items and get them sent to you. A lot of women are very comfortable wearing last season's dress or last season's mm-hmm. staples, and they just want to update their look on a budget with accessories. And the thing about accessories, which was so exciting for me, was size agnostic. They, you know, you could be one size, and you can be another size, and they still fit, which is like you know, having had two kids and being every jean size on the planet. um, You know, it's nice to just not have to worry about size when you're shopping online. Conversion rates are very high. We built a proprietary algorithm on intelligent shopping recommendations, um, which was really exciting. Had a really incredible tech team that kind of built out the vision of what we wanted to do in terms of making an intelligent shopping experience. And that was one of the key reasons we got acquired by QVC. And that was another chapter of my life.
1: So how long did you have the business before QVC um, acquired you?
0: So 2010 is when we launched, and 2012 is when we sold. And That's 2011, insane. we raised money. So we raised $3 million on March 2011, and February 2012, 11 months yet later, we sold the company for an amazing return.
1: So once again, a rocket ship. Rocket ship. Rocket ship. Personal best. <laughs> so what do you think was the big difference in your mindset between... Sun the trend versus the culinary.
0: Um, you know, I think I had equal passion for the industry. I think my passion was there. I think that it was just experience. I had experience. I knew that product market fit matters. That you can be in a large market, but you have to know what service or um, goods you're offering that are actually going to, you know, have high retention, high high have high replenishment, how to scale. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest piece that was missing for me. And behind the burner was, I didn't know how to scale the business. How do you scale me? And how do you scale media? And how do you scale advertising? It was just tough. Right. And when you have e-commerce, scaling, once it starts working, is the easy part. Early days. Later on, it becomes much harder. But um, but that was it. And once it starts working,
1: it just starts ticking. Why do you think QVC was so interested so early on in the business?
0: Um, a lot of reasons. I think that they were excited about the space. I think they were excited about the technology. I think they were excited about kind of having me lead innovative efforts for them. So that was, it was a combination of a few things. Mm -hmm. But um, I was there for two and a half years, I believe, pretty much.
1: So is is it unusual for a brand to be acquired and then the founder becomes part of the founding company, I mean the, the buying company's team outside of it, the brand? So
0: it always depends on the deal. Every deal is so different. So a lot of founders sell their business and walk away and you know, live on an island and enjoy their fabulous life. And then some people really want to work and I was one of those. I was like, I'm not ready to throw in my hand and I there was so much I wanted to do with them. There was so much I had aspirations to do with them. I did a lot of that while I was there and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, it was at a different scale than I had ever experienced in my career. So teams were much larger, budgets were much larger. It was it was exciting. Like I'm, I'm not saying it wasn't. It just, um, there was a lot that we did that I'm excited about uh, on the digital space when I uh, was doing digital innovation at QVC. But ultimately, I am really passionate about startups. I love the early days. I love the pain. I love the creation process. The, incubation process. I'm huge into product. Like, I don't know if you um, kind of, we talked about this briefly, but I love, like, in the beauty space, like, I love product. and I love formula. I'm just, I'm a hoarder, and I just try everything and test everything, and it's just such a huge part of what I do at the brand and the business that I just engage in that in such a meaningful way, and I felt a little removed from that when I was at QVC. I felt removed from the creation product process of actual product it was i was leading the way in in doing really exciting things on the digital side and growing like the email newsletter we built a new magazine that was all digital only like we did we did a lot of exciting stuff but i love i'm like tangible stuff like Mm -hmm. i'm i love product and i just think that i got removed from that and my passion really is you know, starting something from scratch from a personal pain right. point, and that's how we started Wander Reading.
1: So, when you were thinking of leaving QVC, did oh. you make like a pros and cons list? Like, was it a hard decision to make? No, or?
0: it was just gut. Mm-hmm. It was just my husband telling me that I was crazy, and me telling him, "Give me one more chance." It was just I had my daughter. I was in the hospital, and I said, "One more." And he looks at me, and he's like, "One more kid? Yeah, with another husband, mm-hmm. because I'm not. That, that's it for me." I was like, no, it was like one more company. Just one more. I was like, I just, I feel it. I spent so much time at QVC in the beauty business. I saw tremendous growth in beauty. I saw astronomical success for certain founders that were very passionate, had really strong product innovation. And I knew that there was an opportunity for someone to really cater to a market that wasn't spoken to. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was women over 30. It was time-starved women on the go. It was professional women. Moms, professional moms. It was this huge segment of the market that was just not spoken to. I looked at the market and I said, there's so many artistry brands that are telling you, you know, you need the cut crease and you need the 20 step routine, and that's awesome, that's great. It's just not me on an everyday basis. Um, and then there's a lot of millennial brands that are just very, you know, minimalistic. You don't have issues with your skin, you don't have issues with your um, complexion, and you're just kind of basic, and that's great, that's awesome too. But you know, when you're over 30, you start really caring about your skin. You should have cared about it before, but it's okay. We catch up in our 30s and realize, like, everything you put on your skin and your body should be good for you. And it should work with your skin and your body and your hair and your nails and your lashes and not against it. And there was that missing space. And clean beauty was something that was I was so passionate and excited about. And there was, you know, a lot happening in that space, early murmurs. Um, and then there was just... Women, professional women, our lives have changed. We're on the move all the time. Um, And as a mom and going through pregnancy, I realized also, like, ingredients matter. Um, So that no-no list is important to me. I now read labels and care about stuff because I know what what I should be putting on my body and what I should not. Um, And I also don't have time. I'm now moving around from work. And I told you I was going to take the subway every morning to work. And I would put my iPhone camera on, and I would be, like, patting skincare on and, like, you know, putting under-eye concealer on. I'm like, there needs to be a better way. There needs to be a brand that speaks to, like, women like me who are time-starved and on the go. And when I met my co-founder, Lindsay Ellingson, we realized
1: after serving 100 women there really was a huge appetite for this. And it's kind of why we started Wander Beauty. So I just want to go back to um, the hospital room after you had your daughter. Um, Why in that moment did you decide to focus on entrepreneurialism again? What was it about that moment of, you know, pregnancy's over, child's in your arms, now you're gonna do something new?
0: I just, I think that I love to learn. And I'm wildly passionate about growing, like on a personal journey. And like, I felt like I was learning at QVC and I was learning a lot about the beauty industry but that rapid pace of learning that happens when you're actually operating a business, I missed that. Mm-hmm. I craved that. Yeah. I miss that day-to-day engaging with the team from the minute you get to work and the minute you leave, you've actually created something. You've built something. You launched a new release. You've had a new feature. You've launched a new product. You've come up with a new idea that's going to change the trajectory of the company. Those aha moments were so few and far between with a larger team, with you know the bigger budgets and the lot of processes involved, like I wanted to come back and peel back the onion and go back to the basics of what excited me every day. Right. I kind of miss
1: that huge spark and enthusiasm of startup life. Right. So that energy is what's so exciting about the beauty industry now, right? Like, all these independent brands growing the way they want to do it, not even paying attention to the rules of yesterday. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, at at events, I hear a lot of, you know, CEOs of large corporations, like, longing to bring the entrepreneurial spirit into their organizations. Um, Can they even do that? You know, they can. It's just so interesting about how you approach it. If you try and
0: acclimate startup culture to corporate culture, I don't think there's a real success path there. When you value the entrepreneurial team for who they are and what they are and allow them to operate in those confines and operate in that mode and that n- the way they need to operate, that's where I've seen success. So I've seen a lot of beauty brands who have acquired companies and allowed them to be independently run, have independent autonomy around decision-making, to take a budget and run with it mm-hmm. and make their own decisions. I love that. And I think that that is the most successful way to be an entrepreneur within a larger conglomerate. I think that when you try and acclimate the culture and acclimate the policies and acclimate the processes, that's where you just, You're not going to get that. You're not going to attract the same talent because the talent that wants the comfortable corporate job and wants to manage the big team is not the same talent as the person who wants to execute and get something done that day and and wants to do something that's going to like turn
1: the whole business upside down. Right. I was talking to a friend who has been very established in in the industry for a long time, and she was thinking of going to a startup. And I said, just so you know, all those things you were able to do, you know, at X, Y, and Z brand, like. Pay for this special service, you know, onboard some sort of tool. Right. Get the support for that. Like, you, there's no money there for that. So all Zero. the things that you're able to do at this big corporate organization, because you can just, you know, make a payment there, make a payment there, make a payment there. You get none of that. Like, that's how different the job is. Like, it doesn't even matter that you know that it will work it's not an option when there's no budget for it you need to be a doer and mm-hmm. you need to be crafty you need to be smart and you need to find ways to do it better faster cheaper
0: and having done it four times <sighs> I now feel like I have bred a whole group of people on my team to really like who get it who've been with me since the early days of Wander beauty who understand the fewer better beauty essentials is their mission in life. Right. And how can they bring that to life every day with what they do and do it in a way that is like brand right for us. Like are we, we're affordable luxury. Our space when you come in signals affordable luxury. Like it's not fancy. It's not, it like, it's clean, it's neat, it's put together and it's like, you know, it's got that sense of style, but at the same time, like it's affordable luxury. It's like the everyday woman who's like, you know what, I work. I work hard for this money every single day that comes in this paycheck. And I care about how I spend it. And I'm not going to blow in on something super luxurious. Um, and I'm also not going to buy junk. That is, like, doesn't signal the quality of what I'm doing in my life and my career. Your beauty products should mirror what you're doing in your life. Mm-hmm. And um, the quality that you care about with your food. Are you eating organic? Are you buying the like you know stuff that's grass-fed and this thing? Do you care about that stuff? And like, you care
1: about what you're putting on your face and your body? Right, so now, you know, it makes me think of, you said this is the fourth business. It makes me think of, like, after you have a bunch of kids, it's so much easier. Like, you make, you don't do the same things you did the first time around. You approach it completely differently. Oh, it's so much harder. Did. So, um, with the fourth business, what's the biggest difference between your mindset now versus business number one?
0: So, I think that having had two children and having had every disaster that could happen personally and professionally happen to me at this point in my life, I'm just like, I'm so zen, like it's just that my attitude is like, you literally have to burn the house down for me to get worked up about something at this point. Because I've seen it all, I've done it all, I've been through a lot of pain, I've been through a lot of anguish, I've had a lot of difficulties, I had a child born with a lot of health issues. So I've, I've kind of seen a lot of struggle and pain and difficulty, and so I appreciate that, I think that has shaped who I am today. Um, I'm not saying it's you know it's good or it's bad. I just think that it allows me a lot of perspective. Mm-hmm. So whereas I used to get very rattled about every little thing that would go wrong and be so controlling about this and that, and I wanted it perfect and I want it this way, like I have now changed my philosophy and evolved as a leader and evolved as a CEO. I feel like now I'm way more into empowering, hiring really amazing people on the team to make the pie bigger, to make the move the ball forward, and giving them the autonomy to then go do that, but really feeling very focused on, this is the culture that we are in terms of a company and a business, and that is very much my ethos of like, we are a community, we are a team culture. Like, you throw the garbage out when you leave the office, you turn off the air conditioning, like. No job is too little. No job is too big. It doesn't matter how much we're doing in sales. Like, we're a community. We have a kitchen together. Clean the fridge. Don't leave your stinky food in there. Do you do that at home? Because don't do that in my office. Right. Like, you know, just so much of this is just engaging in we are a community for our team. And, like, I run... The organization in a very different way than I used to think about things. So, in my early days of being an entrepreneur, I was all on this concept of like family, family, family. Like, my team was my family. Like, I spent the most amount of time with them, I worked with them all the time, and we were so closely knit on many levels. And that became really difficult as you scale and you get bigger because you hire. Different people with different talent levels, and it disintermediates you, maybe from some of the early people that you had, and then they feel slighted, and other people get demotivated as the organization gets bigger. So there's a lot of, like, complications. Now, the philosophy at Wander Beauty is we run the business as, like, a professional sports team. Like, you are as good as, you know, you're strong, as strong as your weakest link. And so we are all there together to win. And it is this focus on personal best. It's like, what can you do to move everything forward and to really like build and to create and to innovate? And so are you focused on your personal best? It's not a measure of this one versus the other and being competitive with each other. It's actually like, what is the best thing you can do for us collectively to get us ahead? And so everyone is so focused on that camaraderie and, and also it's so results driven. And that's good. I think that keeps everyone honest and focused and really like engaged. Um, and I think we all do have great personal relationships. And we do have a lot of like overlap and a lot of that. But it's different. It's different than how I was when I was in my 20s and I was running a company. And you know when I was in my early 30s and I was running a company. Now that I'm a little older, the maturity is there. The mentality of how to deal with crises is there. Things go wrong. All the time. All the time. That is startup life. Right. Hashtag startup life. Like right. Things go wrong all the time. And so the way we deal with them is just so different now than, I, than the, the younger me was. Um, that's an interesting question. We literally keep hiring people every single week. Uh, so I think I would say our core team um, and core executive team is pretty small, pretty tight. Um, but we've grown our kind of freelance and junior team pretty strong. Kind of in the, in the 20s range. Wow,
1: that's great. So um, my last question for you on this topic is, you, know, you just told me you sort of feel like you've been through everything in life, the, the hard and the good and the struggle and the happy. Um, I'm getting the sense that you're a very compassionate person. How does that compassion play out when you have employees who are maybe struggling with something that has nothing to do with
0: work? Yeah, it's so interesting. So for many years of my life, it became my life. It just became like, oh, this one is you know, having marital issues or relationship issues. And I felt so much that I'm like, I'm their mentor, and I'm their like older sister or mother like type role. And I feel like I got so engaged in some of that along the years of my career, um, some to my detriment, um, and some to my benefit. And I think it, in, in, it actually built a lot of loyalty, because I've had a lot of people over a lot of years, which I think has been incredible. Um, I care. I'm just gonna just throw it Mm -hmm. out there. I do, I'm very different than, you know, a lot of CEOs go to work every day and they work with their team and they move on and like, they don't care. And they they care about the business and they care about the numbers and they care about, you know, getting ahead and they don't care about the people. And I actually think the people's the most important thing. So I actually do think that people are the single biggest, most important asset. Like, forget the brand, forget about Wander Beauty. Like, the reason the brand has grown so much is because the people who sit in that room every day at work, and it's all one room, are, are doing it, they're making it happen. It is ultimately the people. I care a lot. Um, I try and separate what is work and what is personal in a certain regard, but I think that owning the fact that the people is the most important asset and setting people up for success in their personal life allows them to do amazing in their personal professional life. So there, every single person comes with a different set of circumstances, a different set of family issues, maybe a sick parent maybe a sick child maybe a you know financial strain at home and like I have realized that me as a person realizing to work around that and setting people up in a way where they can minimize the stress that they have at home and maximize the productive time at home makes them do better in life Mm -hmm. and makes them a better contributor to our business well thank you for sharing that